Okay, so uh, hello to everybody. Um, so today's talk is called the, uh, the Wise Men Came to Worship. So if anyone's got a Bible, uh, we're going to start at Matthew 2 and look at verses 1 to 6. So Matthew's, Matthew 2, verses 1 to 6. And it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So anyway, three wise men, they walk into a barn. And, uh, and they see Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus. And uh, Joseph kind of asks them, what's up, guys? Why are, you, uh, why are you here? This is kind of a precious moment here. My wife's just given birth, and she's a bit tired. And uh, one of the wise men says, oh, but uh, Joseph, we've got a, a gift of gold for you. I was like, oh, that's, that's very kind of you. Thank you. So he takes the gift of gold, and he's just about to say goodbye. And then another wise man walks in, and he's like, what, what, what is it? You know, I've, my wife has just given birth to a child here. What's going on? And uh, the other wise man, oh, uh, Joseph, I understand. I've got another gift for you. Uh, it's the gift of frankincense. And he's like, okay, that's very kind of you. Thank you very much. So he took the gift of frankincense, and he's like, thank goodness me. That's it now. Um, they're, they're all gone. And then, then uh, he's just about to shut the door, and then in walked another wise man. He said, oh, dear. And he said, no, 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 Joseph, wait. There's more. <laughs> anyway, so, sorry. <laughs> that was terrible. Anyway, it's not as bad as Paul jokes, though. So we... <laughs> I don't think anyone was. Um, so we all know this story of uh, how the wise men came to seek out Jesus. And uh, we, over the years, we've seen this story on Christmas cards, haven't we, and uh, things. And I, I, to be fair, when, when I was a kid, I used to love looking at Christmas cards. I used to just stare at them for hours, uh, probably much to my mother's concern. Like. <laughs> but I used to stare at these Christmas cards for hours as I was just contemplating this mystery, this story of these wise men and the star in the sky. I just loved it. And I think that's why I've always enjoyed, uh, Christmas is always a special time of year for me, because I always remember that for me was kind of like my first inklings into the understanding about Jesus and God and Christianity actually came from those Christmas cards. But I thought today we'd start with, there's two halves to this sermon, Mythbusters half, and then the second half uh, is looking at us more contemporarily for today. But I thought it'd be good to, to address some myths about the three wise men, okay? So firstly, three wise men, okay? Now, I don't know if you know this, but a long time ago, there was this really famous book, a bit like Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. You know, that was a really famous book in its day and still is. Well, there was another one that was really famous back in the day. In 200 AD, this was like the Christmas story of the century. And it was in a book which had a real catchy title called The Proto-Evangelium of James. And in that book... It talks about how Mary is the perpetual virgin, and it talks about the three wise men and how Mary was on a donkey. And so the Christmas story that we know, actually, which parts of it are in the Bible, but all these extra bits that have been added on, actually come from that book. 
And it kind of stuck with the church and church history. And we just, that's what made our Christmas cards the way it is. So you may or may not know that. But the question is, was it three wise men? Nobody really knows. But, the, but one of the arguments is, well, there must be three wise men because each gave a gift. A gift of gold, a gift of frankincense, and a gift of myrrh. Okay? So, so Matthew 2.11, it says, uh, And going into the house, the wise men saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. So that's a really interesting response that they had there. And then opening their treasures, plural, they offered him gifts of gold and gifts of frankincense and gifts of myrrh. Okay? So obviously the text is a little bit unclear. But we can see from that, it wasn't just three guys, possibly not just three guys with like, oh, here's a little bit of gold, here's a bit of myrrh, here's a bit of frankincense or what have you. It was gifts of gold to the king, gifts of frankincense and gifts of myrrh. Yeah, so Jesus was quite minted when, uh, when he was a baby boy. So the next, so, so the next myth to be busted um, is where did, sorry, did the wise man go to the stable? Okay, we all, we all know the story. But you see, this, this myth may not be busted because I'll read it again, Matthew 2.11. It says, going into the house. Okay, so wow, that's definitely not a stable, is it? Um, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him, and so on and so forth. So they went into the house. Now, the question you need to ask yourself is, where is this house? That's a pretty good question to ask, isn't it? All right. In Matthew 2, verses 1 to 8, the Magi came to King Herod and told him that they're looking for the king. And they looked at all the prophecies, and they said, well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So the Magi went to Bethlehem. So they came to the house in Bethlehem. Now we know uh, from more recent archaeological studies that houses in those days, they didn't have so much outhouses or barns, but actually the, the animals were housed in the house at night. And so there was a certain part of the house uh, where the animals would be placed and the humans would be in a different part of the house. And it suspected, because of the census that was given at that time, Loads of people probably had to go back to various towns and stuff. And Bethlehem was a quiet place. And now all of a sudden, it's, it's completely packed, you know. Uh, the inn is completely full. And so, obviously, somebody took pity on them. Uh, we know that they weren't going to a relative's house because that's what they wouldn't have gone to an inn, would they? They would have gone to Aunt Flo's or whatever, but they didn't. So, so someone must have taken pity on them. So then it looks like they had to go into the house, but into the barn or the stable part of the house. That's what some people say. So is the myth busted? Probably not on that one. Uh, so your Christmas cards are still intact. Obviously, the Christmas cards have a, a, an outbuilding where Jesus was born. That isn't likely to be the case. It was actually probably in the house. Um, okay, so now the argument would be, well, he was born in the house, okay? So, but, but, but some say that the wise men didn't turn up until two years later. Have you, anyone heard that argument? Yeah? Okay, mo most of us have heard that. Okay, so now... The Bible is great because if you follow the scriptures carefully enough, the answer is right there for all to see. Okay, so at this time we look in the, the account of Luke. So, um, and another thing that gets a little bit confusing here is, well, when did Jesus go to Egypt? Because that's another thing we've got to try and stick in here as well. So it says in Luke 2.21, it says, when Jesus was eight days old, okay, he got circumcised. So the chances are, we don't know, but the chances are he got circumcised in Bethlehem, okay? But it then says in uh, Luke 2, verses 22 to 38, 
and then in verse 39, it says, And when they had performed everything according to the Torah of the Lord, they returned to Galilee in their own town of Nazareth. Now, when Mary, was, when Mary had given birth to a baby boy, according to the law and the customs of Moses, she was to be unclean for a period of 40 days. So at the end of the 40-day period, then she had to go to the temple and an offering had to be made to purify her. Now, I don't know why this is, but if a, if a woman gave birth to a man, or not a man, hopefully, but gave birth to a boy, then it's 40 days of uncleanliness. If, she gave birth, if a woman gave birth to a girl, it's 80 days of uncleanliness. I, mean, I don't know why that is. Don't, don't, don't say anything about it. So I don't know. Nobody knows. I know it seems grossly unfair to women, but we don't know why that is. But I just thought I'd put it out there just to annoy you. Um, so with that in mind, if... The wise men went to Bethlehem. They went to the house. Okay. Now, bearing in mind that after 40 days, Mary and Joseph had left Bethlehem to go to the temple. Okay. So, therefore, that means the wise men had to have turned up to the house within a very short period of time because it takes, you know, but they obviously stayed there to, to get him circumcised. But then after that, we don't know what happens. So some might say that he might have then gone to Egypt. Now you might think, well, that's miles away. But actually, Israel's only 40 miles wide. And I've got this written down here. Where is it? Uh, a trip, according to Google, Egypt was 40 miles away from Bethlehem. So walking at an average of 3.1 miles per hour, they would have crossed the border within 12 hours. So actually, it didn't take that long to get there. And then they then circumnavigated back round and down to, down to Jerusalem. So the, the wise men could have only been in Bethlehem within eight days of him being born. That's the only way it could have happened. So anyone that says the wise man didn't turn up to the birth of Christ, um, <clears throat> it's not true, unfortunately, because the scriptures are very clear. You just got to piece the gospels together to get the whole picture. Okay. All, that that uh, busted some myths for you? Yeah, that's good. Ooh, that was interesting. Okay, so the question I want to ask now is, are you and I, are we wise? Because this is the interesting th thing, you see. Are we aware of biblical prophecy? Because the wise men were. Are we aware of the signs of the times? Why did the wise men know that when that star appeared in the sky, what it meant? Because they were aware of the signs of the times. Incidentally, in early church history, there are records of when this star appeared. And I need to make this clear that when it appeared, it freaked everybody out. Because and this wasn't just like a little blob in the sky. This was quite big and it moved as well because it led the wise men to where they needed to get to. It says, and then when it settled over. Okay, so the star actually moved. So I've heard some uh, theories like it's a supernova or it was just a planet in the sky. No, when this happened, it freaked everybody out. It was like, what does this mean? But the wise men, they knew the signs of the times. So when they saw it, they acted on it. And so the question to you and I is, do we understand the signs of the times? And are we presenting the precious gift of gold Incense and myrrh. Gold is the best that we have to offer our God. Incense is a life of devotion and worship and prayer to our God. And the life of and the offering of myrrh is a life that's laid down for Christ daily. Daily we die to ourselves for Christ because obviously myrrh is symbolic of what's, is what you put people on them when they're buried, etc. Okay. So, but I meet lots of Christians, I'm sure you all do, where they claim to know the signs of the times. 
yet their lives reflect none of it. In other words, they know in principle the sounds of the times, but the reality is they don't really believe it because if they did, they would have a lifestyle that actually lines up with what they believe. It's going quiet in here. <laughs> Biblical prophecy. How well do we know Bible prophecy? Did you know that the Bible, 30% of your Bible is prophecy? And so therefore, Christians should really, if even on a basic fundamental level, should have a good working understanding of basic biblical prophecy. But sadly, I, I don't see that very often. Now, just for those that don't know, um, I've done a 79 episodes um, series on the book of Revelation. Okay, 79 episodes. Can't I just listen to a half hour YouTube video and get it all done in one hit? No, so 79 episodes. So you can go through the whole book of Revelation. Um, I've also just finished writing a commentary, book one of three on the commentary revelations. And there's loads of podcasts, loads of good stuff by lots of people all around the world that have actually looked at this. What I'm saying is, is that we need to get smart when it comes to our theology, especially when it comes to prophecy. We need to get good at that because I see bad things happening all the time. You remember, but just a few years ago, please do not hear what I am not saying, okay? So we had the, the, uh, the COVID jab, okay? It's getting really quiet in here now. Now, there were some people that said that that COVID jab was the mark of the beast. And any Christian that takes that jab, okay, will lose their salvation. Now, the problem with that, okay... Yes, exactly. So, so there were people putting that out there. And I tell you what now, not one of them has apologized for what they said. They've just moved on to the next thing. Because what they did, and this is what annoys me about this, is they've taken the book of Revelation completely out of context and tried to pull biblical prophecy and plop it into the now. The problem is, is that the book of Revelation, after chapter 4, or some could argue 6, that, 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 that from there on, it's all about Israel, and it's all about the last seven years of the tribulation period of Earth's history before Jesus returns. Therefore, the mark of the beast system does not happen until half halfway through the tribulation period, and then, then comes the rising up of the second beast, which is the miracle worker, then he institutes the, the, the system where the, the buying and the selling and the mark of the beast system. So why is it that people are taking that scripture and trying to apply it into the now when there is no third temple, when there is no antichrist, and I could go on and on and on. So you've got to be careful with this. And this is why Christians need to know their Bible. You know, it's like the river Euphrates has dried up. People say, look, this is it. This is Revelation chapter 19 or whatever it is. And it's like, well, clearly it's not because all the other stuff hasn't happened yet. Okay. However, I do see it as a prophetic sign of things of, of to come, etc. I'm not denying that. But you've got to be careful. And that's why as Christians, we really need to get a bit more smarter when it comes to our Bible, especially when 30% of your Bible is prophecy. All right? We need to get better at this sort of stuff. Hallelujah. So like the wise men, they knew biblical prophecy. So how did they know that the star was something that had to do with the king? Well, it's actually based on, so some say, an ancient prophecy that's 1,400 years before Christ. Okay, And it comes from the book of Numbers 24, verse 17. And it says, this is, um, uh, this is someone giving this prophecy. It says, um, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, 
a scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheth. So they, obviously, I don't know how they got that out of that or, or some other prophecies, but they knew. Yeah? And the Magi were well trained. It said that, that they believed that they were from men from the east, that they were likely from uh, what we would call Babylon biblically, but it's modern day Iran, Iraq. Kurdistan, is it? So, so they're from that particular period. They would have been well-versed, they reckon, in Daniel's prophecies, etc. And so these guys knew their stuff. I'm not saying we all have to become experts at biblical prophecy, but at least a basic working overview of stuff that when you see another YouTube video that says, this is it, we're all doomed, you can actually say, yeah, not quite yet. Okay, so other things, signs of the times. Are we aware of the signs of the times? Because not everything that's going on in the world right now is in your Bible. In other words, a bit like the example I gave a minute ago, people are looking sometimes into the Scriptures to find out, is this now, is this now? And there's nothing wrong with that because Jesus says you've got to you know, constantly watch for the signs of the times, etc., in the light of biblical prophecy. But also understanding the signs of the times is understanding God's heart for the here and the now. Now, King David... He had uh, men around him, mighty men, and some of those people were known as the sons of Issachar, a little group of them. And it says that the Bible says that they knew the signs of the times. That doesn't just mean the prophetic stuff. That means they understood the geopolitical context of where they were at. They understood the plans and purposes for God in the here and the now for them and for their generation. And we need to be a people that understand the politics of the day. We need to know what the zeitgeist is, which is the spirit of the age. What is the spirit of the age? And we need to say, okay, if this is what that is, then we can't allow that into our church. We can't allow that into our theology. And yet, because we don't know what the zeitgeist is, it has riddled our theology and infiltrated our churches. Christianity here in the UK is almost now a dying ember. Well, I think things that I know what's going on right now, the church leaders, it, it, it just shocks me to my core just how bad it's really got. And I don't think many Christians, like yourselves, probably because we're in like this nice little sort of uh, cosy utopian bubble that we're in right now, well, we don't, we don't realise how bad it is out there right now. It really is quite grim. Hallelujah. So do we know the signs of our times? Because you see, Christians need to be the smartest people in the room. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got the mind of Christ. You've got your Bible. There is no reason why you cannot know and discern the signs of times. There's no reason why you can't be 10 steps ahead of everybody else. But sadly, the church seems to be 10 steps behind everybody else. And the the next thing about these wise men is they understood the importance of Israel. They came from another country and they recognized and they came in. It says they bowed down before the Messiah. They knew he was the Jewish king. They knew he was the king of Israel. Hallelujah. And as Christians, we need to understand the importance of Israel significantly in these days. So when Israel became a nation again, then something switched on. Prophetic time clock starting to wind down. There are things going on right now. I have a, a friend who's a Messianic Jew, and every now and then we get together and uh, we have dinner and we chew the cud, no, no, no pun intended, and uh, we just go through some stuff. And I've never seen him this low. He, he said to me the other day, he said, because uh, he, he travels all around the UK and he does lots of talks and stuff, and uh, generally Christians are quite open to his message about the importance of Israel. 
He said, since October the 7th, he said, I can't believe it. He said, the church has gone cold. Just absolutely cold. They don't want to speak out. They don't want to say anything. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to address it. They've just gone absolutely cold. And he was saying, this is, it's the worst that it's ever been in Christendom that if the churches he goes to towards Israel. The worst. I, I would have thought that October the 7th might have given us a bit of a kick up the pants and let's start addressing this, but apparently it's not. A lot of churches are, are either very against Israel or they've just decided to go, let's just go silent. Let's just let this one blow, it, blow by, shall we? Well, that's happened before. I remember reading um, by uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer saying that um, during the times of churches in Nazi Germany, the churches would, would sing louder and louder so they didn't hear the clitter-clatter of the trains going to Auschwitz full of Jews. And yet, this is what's happening in our time right here, right now, when the church should be speaking up and should be saying something and actually for the first chance time in ages where we could actually be provoking the Jews to jealousy by the love that we have for them, the church has yet again done what she always seems to do, which is go silent. Israel is really important. Incidentally, uh, in February, um, from the first week of February, I'm going to be running a 10-week course on Monday nights from 730 called The Biblical Importance of Israel. So we'll actually go through all of the scriptures, right from Genesis, right through to the end. So that at the end, you'll have a working biblical understanding of why Israel matters and why it's important today. Yeah? And like I said, these wise men, they understood the importance of Israel. And again, as I was speaking to my, my Messianic Jewish friend the other day, he was saying, do the Christians not get it? The book that you read, the Bible, is a Jewish book. It was written by Jews. The Messiah, he came first to the Jews, and then he came to the Gentiles. We need to remember that we're grafted into their tree. They're not grafted into our tree. And we need to remember that we're a part of the new covenant. But Gentiles don't have a new covenant because we never had an old one. It's the Jews that have an old covenant. And, that's the, and so what we do is we get grafted into their promises and their things. Yeah? Because the prophecy from Jeremiah 31, 31, where it says about a promise, uh, a prophecy that's to the house of, Je house of Judah and the house of Israel about a new covenant that he will make with them. It's an Israeli-based new covenant. It's a Jewish new covenant. And, and obviously from the Abrahamic promises, we get to graft into that. But it is a Jewish, essentially a Jewish thing. Also, the new Jerusalem, when it comes out and lands on the new heaven and new earth... The foundation stones. Whose names are written in the foundation stones? The apostles. Okay, guess what? They're Jewish. And then on the big pearly gates, there's names written on those pearly gates all around the city. Whose names are on there? The 12 patriarchs. Hey, guess what? They're Jewish, right? Jesus, he is eternally human as he is God because obviously now he took on the, the DNA from Mary. And guess what that DNA is? It's Jewish, all right? He's still, I don't like to say this, but he's still circumcised. He bears the marks on his body that he received whilst he was down on the earth. He will come back and he's coming to Jerusalem and he's going to come and reign over Mount Zion and he is a Jewish Messiah who will reign over the nations. Hallelujah. So whichever way you want to look at this, you can't get around this with your replacement theology. Jesus is Jewish and your Bible is 
Jewish and you can't replace that. Israel is more important than we realize. Obviously, with all things, it has to be kept in its context and place. We don't want to just become crazy with it. But there is a place for it. And, and again, like my friend was saying, that the church at this hour, at this time, just doesn't seem to get it. Just doesn't get it. And I have to be honest, for a few days now, I've just been mulling on this. Nothing's really formed yet. But I feel prophetically that next year is going to be a really, a really nasty year. Because... You've got, I believe, there's a chastisement coming to our economy, chastisement coming to our government next year. And I think because of how the church has reacted towards Israel, possibly even a chastisement to God's people. Now, God chastises us because he loves us, but we do have to take this seriously. You can't just turn your back on your brother and your sister and pretend it doesn't matter and pretend because you're a Christian you're going to get away with it. Anyway, so like the wise men, <laughs> just moving on, uh, are we living and expecting the advent of Christ? So they were, they were following the star. They were expecting the first coming of the Messiah. But as we as Christians, are we as Christians expectant and living our lives awaiting the second coming? Hallelujah. And so the scriptures talk a lot about being preparedness, a place of preparedness in our lives, in our hearts for the return of Christ. So there's seven little, don't worry, these will be quick, seven little things here uh, about how to live our lives. So the first one is to live in the light of his first coming. In other words, what are you doing? What are you and I doing with the talents that God has given us to serve him and to serve his kingdom? in the light that he has come, but also in the light that he's coming back. And every one of us will stand before our Lord and he'll say, hey, that talent I gave you, by the way, the word talent is misleading because it's actually a weight of something. It's not like, oh, I've got a talent of playing guitar. It can mean that, but actually it's to do with a weight. So if God's given you something, the day will come and say, hey, that, that, that's, that, that's, that, that situation I, I put you in, or that circumstance that I put you in, how did you do with that? You know, did you use that wisdom that I gave you? All, you know, all the things that I gave you, did you use that? And how well did, and what return did you get on that? Secondly, be discerning. Understanding the signs of the times like the wise men did. We can't pretend that this is someone else's problem. We can't pretend that, that this will all just blow away. Because this isn't going to go away, and it's not going to blow away. And the doors of the church are rattling, and the church is trying to, me, 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 ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. But if we don't pay attention, it's going to blast through the doors. The church has to have an answer for the times in which we're in. That means, brothers and sisters, the church has to have a voice. And unfortunately, when the church has a voice, guess what? It's not popular. It's very politically incorrect. It's very uncomfortable. And truth needs to be spoken. And truth, I'll tell you, truth needs to be spoken now. I can't understand why people are not doing anything about some of the things that are going on. Anyway, so thirdly, accept the uncertainties because nobody knows the day or the hour. And sometimes life is bad. And sometimes life is great. But when life is bad, know this, that even though the Lord may tarry in his return or so seemingly, that God will never fail you, and he will never forsake you, and he's always with you. Jesus said, you know, at the end of the Gospels, I, yeah, I am with you even unto the end of the age. Okay, you are not alone. Fourthly, don't lose hope. Always be hopeful that God will come through for you. God will always, he will not fail you. 
He will always be there for you. Uh, Number five, encourage one another. You know, it talks about in the scriptures about the end of days quite often. But Jesus didn't give us that to, to, um, I don't know, fulfill some weird desire to know what like it's going to be at the end of days. He told us these things. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4, encourage each other with these words. You know, this is what's coming. Jesus is coming. Let's encourage each other with these words. And Jesus in the book of Revelation, and let's not forget the book of Revelation was actually dictated by Jesus himself. So it amazes me that most churches won't even touch it, won't even talk about it, let alone even open it. Okay, I don't know why that is. Maybe they feel overwhelmed by it as possible. But nevertheless, this is a book given by Jesus. And Jesus in, them, in there himself saying, you know, the times of great trial and tribulation, but he constantly reminds them of the reward. If you could just endure to the end, this is your reward. And great will be your reward. You'll have a stone with your name written on it and all these great things. And you'll have crowns and, and a place with him in the kingdom of heaven. So encourage one another with these end time scriptures. Number six, live as if today was the day. Amen. Because if we're careful, if we're not careful, sorry, we can become very uh, lackadaisical. Oh, well, you know, he's always saying he's coming. It's always soon. It leads us to a place of complacency. And, and if there's ever a time in Christendom where we're being complacent, I'd say we, as in the church, especially in the UK, it, it, it is now. We are so complacent. We're just like, well, whatever, it'll pass. It's like, no, this, we are in really serious times. And the last one, seven. Keep on doing the work Jesus left us to do. All right? Now, this is a th- you've got to be careful with this. You must always look at things through the lens of kingdom, not through the eyes of man. Some people might look at some, I don't know, mighty man or woman of God that do, that's doing a lot of TV work and traveling to the nations and stuff like that. And that can look like, wow, they're really like doing stuff for God. But I'm just this little old me, you know, I'm just, I'm just like, you know, being nice to my neighbors and just bringing up my kids in the way of the Lord and stuff. You can't think of it like that. Remember the woman, remember when Jesus was sat by the temple, he was watching all those people put money into the box. He had all these guys, rich, rich guys just chucking in money bags in. And then this little widow with just a couple of mites is all she had. Yet through the perspective of kingdom, she gave more than the rich people did. But from the perspective of man, it's like, God, two mites, what's, what good's that going to do, the temple of God? And so you must think, whatever it is that God has commissioned you to do, do not think, oh, you know, I'm not like so-and-so and stuff. Whatever it is that God's told you to do, do it and do it well and do it as unto the Lord. Amen. God has given us all a calling. God has given us all a commission and responsibility. And we're all called to be priests. We're all called to worship our God. We're all called to pray to him and be a people of prayer and worship and always ready to share the good news. And finally, we must be a people that love one another. Why? Because Jesus said, if you love one another, the world will know that you're my disciples. Sadly, I don't think the world know it very well. And it's up to us to turn things around. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, I pray for all of us here today, Lord God, that we will be like the wise men, Lord, that we will know our Bibles, that we will understand the signs of the times, Lord God, that we will live a life expectant of the coming of the Messiah, Lord Jesus. And Lord, that we will live a life yielded to you for your kingdom, for your plans and purposes and for your glory, Lord Jesus. Lord, we love you, we adore you, and we thank you, Lord God, that you came 
born as a baby, grew up to a man and went to the cross, then died, went into heaven, Lord, ascended, went into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father and are coming back again soon. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen.